whatever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and this week I'm joined by my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. And Hal, Christmas is already upon us, and there are only two more weeks left in the 2019 NFL regular season. Where did the season go? <laughs> my God, David, it, it seems like it was yesterday. We were sitting here in September talking about the season kicking off and, you know, um, I turn around and, and like you said, the, the season somehow snuck past us here. I don't know what's going on. Oh, neither do I. And it, to me, it seems like just yesterday I was uh, in Canton, Ohio for Pro Football Hall of Fame and Shryman festivities. Man, the, the time just went so fast this year. <laughs> it certainly did. And it, it's been, you know, another entertaining season um, for us. I mean, my goodness, this year has given us a little bit of everything. It most certainly has, and uh, these next two weeks are going to be very dramatic, not just in terms of playoff seeding, especially in the NFC, where you got three teams currently at 11-3, and three, but also in terms of draft order this week, where you got the Dolphins and Bengals facing off and the Giants and Redskins facing off. The top four picks of the draft could be really shaken up this weekend. It certainly could, and talking about the AFC playoffs as well, just the potential swings that are in place, you know, if... Uh, Houston, Kansas City, who's the three? New England, Buffalo, either one of those could be a two or a five. You know, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, who's going to take that number six spot? There's so many things still up in the air with these last two weeks that we're just going to have to watch play out on the field, and it's going to be super entertaining. It most certainly is, and we'll talk about those games a little bit later on. But first, let's start with our Week 50 takeaways, and I'm going to go first. It is long past time to put Drew Brees in the discussion as one of the five best quarterbacks of all time. On Monday night, not only did he surpass Peyton Manning for the NFL record for all-time touchdown passes, he did it while at the same time breaking Phillip Rivers' record for the highest completion percentage in a single game with a minimum of 25 attempts. Drew Brees has to be the most accurate quarterback of all time. And yes, while Tom Brady is most certainly the GOAT based on resume and his success in the playoffs and his uh, desire alone, uh, Drew Brees, in terms of the fundamentals of the position, most high school quarterback coaches have their students watch him first ahead of Tom Brady for a reason. Drew Brees has to be considered on the for the Mount Rushmore of NFL quarterbacks. It is long past time. David, that's a great takeaway. I couldn't agree more. I think Drew Brees, uh, you know, part of his problem is he has never had that elite defense around him. He's had to shoulder a lot of the offense in his entire time in New Orleans. Everything was predicated on him and his arm and just too many opportunities slipped away when that defense couldn't make that one crucial stop in the postseason. We've seen that over and over and over again. And, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've always, you know, back when it was 10 years ago in the debate about the quarterbacks, I always included Drew Brees right there with Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, and Aaron Rodgers as well as, a, a, you know, they were all ones to me. It was just whatever that feeling that week was a 1A, 1B, 1C, or 1D there. Plus, uh, it is remarkable what Tom Brady has continued to do into his 40s, but Drew Brees is 40 years old, man. We have to talk about the amazing job he's done in his 40s as well so far. Exactly. And, you know, to see the, the Saints in contention this year as they are and the growth that they have on defense, 
you know, this might be one of their best opportunities to come away with a Super Bowl because this is the first time you really, since the last time they won the Super Bowl and were in the Super Bowl, that you see a complete team around Drew Brees. And, you know, taking some of that pressure off of him, as we saw on Monday night, you know, when needed, he can step up and make every single pass that you need him to make. He most certainly can, Hal. And uh, what was your main takeaway from Week 15? You know, like we talked about with those swings and, you know, the lost opportunity for San Francisco with that uh, upset by the Falcons over the 49ers and the 49ers who we were just a few weeks ago talking about home field advantage throughout the playoffs, now looking like, um, you know, there's questions on that offense with it out of sync. And are they going to be a wild card team? Are they going to be having to go on the road? and face a Seattle, New Orleans, Green Bay, however that shakes out in those top three seeds. And what was looking like they were in the driver's seat just a few short weeks ago has them all of a sudden looking like, oh, my goodness, wild card? This is crazy. Indeed, and it's going to be fascinating to see how that race of the NFC West concludes over these final two weeks. And now we move on to our favorite game here, truth or exaggeration. And we all know the Cleveland Browns right now are a laughing stock. Players were yelling at the Cardinals sideline to come get them. Uh, like, come take us away from the Browns. We don't like it here. We'd rather play for Cliff Kingsbury than Freddie Kitchens. Oh, my God. Did it get any more embarrassing last Sunday? And based on the intel that's uh, been uh, out in uh, recent days, uh, Freddie Kitchens, there is increasing momentum that he will get fired. But, however, control freak general manager John Dorsey, who was let go by the easygoing Hunt family in Kansas City for a reason, he should be on the chopping block as well. I did this with Matt Barr last week, and I'm going to ask you your opinion as well. So the Browns should fire both Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey. Truth or exaggeration? I'm going with the truth there. Um, You know, Freddie Kitchens, first of all, if you're going to fire the coach, you have to look at who made that call for the coach, and that lands squarely on Dorsey's shoulders. Dorsey had the opportunity to bring in a Mike McCarthy, an opportunity to get someone more established who is more likely to be in control of that locker room. And when you start bringing in these players, these Jarvis Landry's, the Odell Beckham's, who have huge talent and huge ego that come with it, managing those egos is a huge part of that. And if you're going to be responsible for bringing those type of players in, it's on your shoulders. Why should you get a second chance, John Dorsey? So I'm saying absolutely it's true. Plus, I think letting Sashi Brown go will go down as one of the biggest mistakes in Cleveland Browns franchise history. Sashi Brown wasn't the problem. It was Hugh Jackson, uh, Jimmy Haslam. Exactly. And that was a situation where, you know, they let Hugh sit there, and uh, I don't know why they hung on to him so long and, and, and just let him. Ugh, you know, drag that franchise down for all those years with that losing attitude. And that's just something that, again, you know, Cleveland, you know, hey, can you fire the owner? Because it all starts at the top. And we're seeing, I think, the biggest problem in Cleveland is Jimmy Haslam and his management style and bringing in the wrong person and John Dorsey and Dorsey bringing in the wrong person and Freddie Kitchen. 
Indeed, and now we go to Jacksonville, where this week the NFLPA announced that Dante Fowler Jr. won a grievance against the Jaguars for being fined uh, for not reporting to a mandatory treatment during voluntary offseason workouts. Tom Coughlin uh, failed to manipulate the salary cap by forcing mandatory treatments onto a certain player during voluntary workouts where you can't find a player, period. And according to a report, 25% of all grievances in recent years have been filed against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jaguars' problems will only get worse if they retain Tom Coughlin. Truth or exaggeration? I think it's the truth. You know, Tom Coughlin is who he is. He's, uh, you know, what, 70 years old? He's not changing his stripes here. And, you know, if you want to look at Tom Coughlin as an opposite of the uh, Cleveland situation, where it's too free and loose in Cleveland and Jacksonville, you know, it's just a little bit too tense, too tight. And, you know, again, it, it all starts at the top there. And, you know, Shad Khan is, has made it very clear who runs this team. And everybody knows that's Tom Coughlin. And you see that overbearing leadership right from the top with Coughlin and you know again there's a reason there's these grievances I believe there's one that uh, Leonard Fournette just won as well where they find him for sitting down on the bench when he was inactive last season so god (laughs) it's insane you know I mean on one hand you've got to have you know control in that locker room and then on the other hand there has to strike that balance and these are two teams that there's a reason that they're not performing up to expectations. And one is swinging too far, and the other is swinging too far the other way and not finding that balance in the middle. So, yes, the truth is Tom Coughlin, uh, he's not changing his stripes. They have to look at him as part of that problem in Jacksonville. Yep, firing Doug Barone won't be enough. you got to fire Tom Coughlin and potentially Dave Caldwell as well, Khan. Do the right thing. And we go to Detroit now, where it was announced yesterday by team owner Martha Ford that Matt Patricia and GM Bob Quinn will both return for the 2020 season. But she added a caveat saying that she expects the Lions to be a serious playoff contender next year. So truth or exaggeration, Matt Patricia will get fired after the 2020 season if the Lions fail to sniff the playoffs. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, two years uh, is a little short time when they're basically, the, you know, the Lions were, were one of those teams that in the Jim Caldwell era were just sniffing on the edge of the playoffs, and that was as good as it was ever going to get. Matt Patricia wanted to tear this team down and rebuild it back up from the studs and make it into a team that uh, has the potential to be a Super Bowl team. And I, I don't agree with all the decisions that have been made there by Quinn and Patricia, but I definitely think, you know, if you're going to invest in the program, you've got to give them at least three years. But definitely this coming 2020 season, the results are going to have to be out on the field. And Detroit is going to have to, if not make the playoffs, win double-digit games and just miss the playoffs in order to uh, keep Matt Patricia around. Because, you know, these what six, seven-game losing streaks they're up to now uh, just do not look good. Uh, when you're trying to get that fan base invigorated for the next season. 
to be fair, though, uh, the Lions have arguably been the most injured team uh, in football this season. And losing after losing Matthew Stafford to that back injury, their season immediately went south. And before that, Matthew Stafford was on pace to have his career season. So uh, things are actually looking up in Detroit, in my opinion. But it's on Matt Patricia to deliver that in 2020 health permitting. And now we go to the hottest team in the NFL right now, arguably, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Even though it's unlikely they make the playoffs, they are on a roll right now, and they face some hard decisions uh, come January. Not only do you have Jameis Winston coming out of contract, but you have your stud pass rusher Shaq Barrett coming out of contract as well. And the question is, um, what do you do with both of them? So, truth or exaggeration, the Buccaneers should extend Shaq Barrett by February and give Jameis Winston the franchise tag as opposed to a multi-year deal. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, that, that's, a, that's a perfect truth right there. Um, I think, you know, with Tampa Bay, uh, you know, they've already pretty much come out and said, you know, there's no way that Shaq Barrett's getting away. Uh, they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that he does not hit free agency with the, with the year that he's had to be 16 and a half sacks in 14 games. And just being that leader on that defense, they're going to lock him up. He's made his money. And Jameis Winston, uh, again, I couldn't agree with you more on that. The, the one-year franchise tag, you've got to give him another look because as electric as he can be, you know, those 24 interceptions, those are backbreakers. And that's something Bruce Aarons is going to have to figure out, maybe give him another year, but he's going to have to try to fix that if they're going to give uh, a long-term extension to Winston. So, boop, 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 boop. there's our sympathical alert. We're definitely sympathical there. And it was just revealed this week that Utah State quarterback Jordan Love, an intriguing but raw prospect, will enter the 2020 NFL Draft, and he will get to showcase his talents at the Senior Bowl down in Mobile, Alabama, where I'll be at the end of January. And it was reported in August, after Andrew Luck retired, that Colts GM Chris Ballard loved Jordan Love. And based on what I heard from an information friend of mine, he still maintains his interest in Jordan Love. So, and when you look at Jacoby Brissett right now, he clearly doesn't look like the long-term answer in Indy. So, truth or exaggeration, the Indianapolis Colts should use their first-round pick on Jordan Love if he significantly impresses them during the pre-draft process. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, definitely a truth. Indianapolis definitely needs a quarterback. There's no doubt about it. Jacoby Brissett uh, just does not uh, does not look ready to be um, a number one playoff team type of quarterback. And Indianapolis, they should be looking at you know, any draft capital that they have, this team needs that quarterback to build around, um, not only looking to draft, but looking to move up in the draft as possible as well to be grabbing that quarterback. So for Indianapolis, uh, these last two games of the season and, and where they land in the draft order, uh, where they're 6-8 and eight right now, the difference between 8-8 eight and 6-10 eight and, and 10 could be huge for them in finding that quarterback for the future. Plus, they have the Redskins second-round pick in their pocket as well, so they'll have the ammo to move up, though. Exactly, and a lot easier moving up when you're five spots uh, further up to begin with. So, <laughs> uh, Totally, and we go to Kansas City right now, where with their offense rediscovering its 2018 mojo and their defense right now playing underrated football, 
The Kansas City Chiefs are the team the Ravens should fear the most in the playoffs. Truth or exaggeration? I, I hate to stick with the truth, but, you know, I have been so impressed with this Kansas City defense, especially these past few weeks as well. Um, since they came back from that bye week, Oakland, New England, Denver, uh, you know, I mean, say what you want about that Broncos offense, but, you know, basically stifling the Patriots, shutting down Oakland, who can at least pass the ball, if nothing else. Uh, that's some very, very impressive performances coming out of that Chiefs defense. And, and they're, they look like the, a balanced defense. Uh, they're able to generate the pass rush. There's been great improvement with that. I think just having Frank Clark getting back to full health, Chris Jones is hitting his stride. And on the back end as well, we're seeing, you know, the difference that, you know, having a strong and smart group of safeties. We talked about Juan Thornhill a few weeks ago, the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew as well, uh, just anchoring that secondary. And that Chiefs defense has really become a strength. And it's, and it's really, you know, Baltimore's getting all the attention, but heading down the stretch here, you know, I'm looking at Kansas City and saying, that might be the most dangerous team in the playoffs right now and, you know, should be considered depending on where they land. Um, and they still have a chance for that number two seed with the tiebreaker against the Patriots, uh, a, a chance to be the most dangerous team in the playoffs with that offense and this improved defense. So definitely a truth right there. Oh, yes, and Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill are as dangerous as any safety combo in the NFL right now, and people should stop sleeping on those two guys right now. And the Pro Bowl becomes more of a joke each year. And this year, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Fred Warner, and Justin Simmons should have made the Pro Bowl as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Luke Keekley, and Earl Thomas. Truth or exaggeration? You know, uh, I... Sometimes, David, I think I'm just too old to get worked up about the Pro Bowl anymore, you know? <laughs> it, it, it's, really, it, it's really, you know, part of the draw has to be that it is a popularity contest, and it's always going to be a year or two behind. Um, players that, shouldn't be in, that should be in the Pro Bowl have to wait an extra year or two to get in there, and players who shouldn't be in the Pro Bowl uh, get elected for another year or two. It, you know, it, it comes down to at the end of the day, it's still a popularity contest, whether it's popularity with other players, popularity within the league, popularity with the fans as well. Um, but, you know, yes, I think if we're looking at it, and, uh, you know, and, I, and again, I think that's why you and I and the Hall of Fame voters always give so much more weight to that all pro selection. Uh, first team all pro versus the pro bowl and i think you see those hall of fame voters just throw that pro bowl number right out the window it doesn't mean anything to them because everybody knows the popularity contest and it's a matter of giving the fans what they want but yeah definitely if you're picking the best players who is the best this year total truth you know uh, yeah yeah Exactly. Don't even get me started on Pouncey at center and anything like that either, because they'll just see the smoke coming out of my ears from where you are in Chicago, Dave. Oh. <laughs> uh, you summed up our mutual feelings about the Pro Bowl very well there, Hal. And last but not least, all 
NFC playoff teams outside of New Orleans should be praying extra, extra, extra hard right now that the Saints don't get the NFC's number one seed again. Truth or exaggeration? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think that's definitely a truth. And, you know, I think we, you know, it's hard not to overreact week by week in the NFL. And after seeing that, that, San Francisco, New Orleans game where, you know, both teams seem to have lost uh, any understanding of how to play defense. Um, Watching the Saints come out of the bye and just get walloped by Atlanta. um, You know, the the tendency was to overreact and think, well, maybe this team isn't quite as good as they are. But, you know, every team's going to have hiccups throughout the season. You know, I mean, really for the Saints, I mean, you, you look at them, you know, weathering the storm with Teddy Bridgewater in for Drew Brees. And, you know, that that really was their toughest time of the season. And it, I think it galvanized this team. And if they're playing at home throughout the entire playoffs, I think they're a nightmare matchup. I don't care who it is. I don't care how deep the NFC is. You, you know, you do not want to have to go through New Orleans to try to get to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I've got to go. That is a definite truth right there. They should be praying that New Orleans drops uh, out of those top, at least the top spot. We're simpatico there as well, Hal. And now let's focus on our two games of the week. And we start in your neck of the woods in Foxborough, where the Buffalo Bills travel to Gillette Stadium to take uh, the New England Patriots. Said. Yes, the Patriots uh, walloped the Bengals last week, but their struggles on offense still persist, and now they run into that amazing Buffalo Bills defense who gave the Patriots all they could handle earlier uh, in the season in Week 4, I believe, and the main difference in that game was a block punt for a touchdown by Josh Gordon, of all people. And Josh Gordon, uh, we hope you get all the help you need right now. Football is absolutely secondary to you uh, right now. But uh, that is a side note. Let's go back to uh, this game. And based on what I just said, and based on how much the Bills have improved from then till now, should anybody be surprised if the Bills actually do pull off the upset in Foxborough on Saturday? No, I mean, I don't think there's any surprise. I think this is, you know, for the first time in, you know, what are we going back to, 2002, uh, you know, where there's, you know, AFC East battles count in December. I mean, this is amazing. And you know, this Buffalo team is legitimate. I think, you know, the offense, you and I can go on. We, we could spend two hours here talking about how we feel about Josh Allen and some of the deficiencies that are in his game. But, again, I think Buffalo does such a great job of maximizing his strength and trying to minimize his weaknesses that that offense becomes just good enough Um, so that that defense can carry them and not burden that defense. And then you look on the other side and say this New England offense, I mean, clearly Tom Brady is far less than 100%. This elbow injury has been lingering on and affecting him, affecting his decision-making, his patience in the pocket, the lack of a healthy Julian Edelman who's far less than 100%. I mean, I think this game at this point is pretty much a coin flip. Well, it most certainly is. And another reason why it's a coin flip is everybody's been talking about Stephon Gilmore this season, and rightfully so. He's going to be an all-pro this year in addition to Pro Bowl, and he's arguably the best corner in the game. But 
there's some guy on Buffalo named Tredavious White who you could say is almost as good as he is, if not already as good as he is. Given the season, he is having shutting down number one receivers and intercepting passes left and right. Do you think there's a case for Tredavious White is already being on Stephon Gilmore's level? Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think as, as a rookie, I think Tredavious White, you know, uh, separated himself from the rest of the uh, that rookie class early on in his rookie season and he improved I think he took a big step forward last year and he's taken another big step forward this year as well and you know you don't hear a lot of talk about that Buffalo secondary but it's really one of the deepest secondaries in the league you've got Tredavious White you've got Levi Wallace um, who's a very very good cornerback on the other side Teron Johnson who handles the nickel and they're just so deep at safety they go Jordan Poyer Micah Hyde and Kurt Coleman is their backup. They really can roll out a three safety look, three cornerback look without, you know, without losing a step either way. And um, yeah, I mean, Tredavious White, I mean, just a, a fantastic player, great ball skills, great ability with the, the makeup speed, and especially what's between his ears as well. One of the smarter cornerbacks in the league as well. He's got the full package, and they've got a stud there at cornerback in Buffalo for sure. Yes, and I have a feeling both he and Stephon Gilmore are going to feast on Saturday in what will be a low-scoring game. But now let's talk about some of the key matchups that could decide this game that I think will be very, very close. And I start with the Bills and Cole Beasley. He is Josh Allen's security blanket, and he is likely going to be faced up against Devin McCourty or Stephon Gilmore. But I would assume it's more McCourty because uh, – Beasley is in the slot, and they're going to need Gilmore's help to help with that speed that Buffalo has on the perimeter as well. So Cole Beasley against Devin McCourty, man, like uh, watch uh, Cole Beasley the entire game and who the Patriots have on him because uh, if uh, Cole Beasley could make a couple of uh, key catches, that could be the difference. Oh, I mean, that that's a that's a huge matchup in this game for sure, David. And, uh, you know, the big thing for the Patriots is their uh, nickel cornerback, Jonathan Jones, who's done such a great job, injured his groin last week, so he's not going to be playing in this game. He's probably shut down for the rest of the season, and hopefully they're hoping he'll be back for the playoffs. But, um, you know, Cole Beasley, yeah, he had some catches. He had a few yards, but 7 for 75 on 13 targets. Jonathan Jones was draped all over him when these two teams played earlier in the season. And that's a big win for Beasley, not having to go against Jones. And for New England, you know, you just don't have that nickel cornerback to step in um, anybody that's ready to um, be able to play at that level, at that position. Um, you know, having to have, a, you know, one of the McCordys on him, it's just not the same as the job that Jones has been able to do uh, with his amazing quickness and straight line speed that he has that allows him to play so well in the slot. And that's why uh, they brought in Cole Beasley in the first place to give uh, Josh Allen a quick target who gets open quickly and uh, to rely on in key downs and situations that he has done that all season long and he'll be called upon to do it again on Saturday. And what other matchup are you paying the most attention to in this game? Well, I mean, I think when you talk about disrupting the Patriots' passing attack, uh, since 2007 and those New York Giants in the Super Bowl, uh, the story has been the same. You get to Tom Brady up the middle, and Buffalo 
has, you know, two players in the middle of that defense who have just been outstanding this season in generating pressure and pushing up the middle, and that's their first-round pick, Ed Oliver, and um, Miami Dolphins cast off Jordan Phillips. Both of them have been fantastic in the middle, pushing the pocket, not letting opposing quarterbacks step up and being able to pressure that way. We've seen both of those players for Buffalo all season long, uh, not just creating pressure, but getting sacks out of that situation as well. And for the Patriots, um, you know, Ted Karras came back at center, but you're still talking about, you know, the backup to David Andrews. There was a big step down from David Andrews, who's been out all season, to Ted Karras, and Karras is just getting back to full strength now. This was a tough matchup for Karras uh, earlier in the season. Buffalo dominated on the interior offensive line, and that's why that game was so close throughout. And I think that's a big reason why, again, this week, um, Buffalo has a great chance to win because I think that's a huge matchup that goes in favor of Buffalo. And now let's do our gay picks for the Bills and the Patriots. Who do you see coming out with the victory on Saturday? Man, you know, uh, again, like I said, this is a coin flip uh, situation here. I think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be very low scoring. I think both teams are going to try to run the ball, and you're talking about two of the better defenses in the NFL. um, That If there is one weakness that either of these teams have is that they can be vulnerable against the run at times. Um, But, boy, it's really a coin flip. I could see it going either way. Uh, when it's a coin flip, I always pick the home team. So I'll take New England 15-14 to 14 over Buffalo. We are simpatico on the final margin, but not on the outcome. I hate to break your heart, Hal. I know you love the Patriots more than I love my cat, but uh, uh, you get the idea. <laughs> but based on uh, Tom Brady not being 100%, Julian Edelman not being 100%, and the improvements this Bills team has made and the potential advantages we've outlined for them with a Cole Beasley on offense and Jordan Phillips and Alva Oliver. If Josh Allen plays turnover-free football, I am picking the Bills to win this game 17-16. to 16. I think the Bills are going to play low-risk football on offense, take a couple deep shots, and just mainly run the ball and allow their defense to make some big plays against that vulnerable uh, Patriots offense. And I think they do just enough of that to come out with a 17-16 upset victory. And on Monday night in Minnesota, on Christmas Eve Eve, <laughs> there I say, uh, the Packers who are 11-3 and three and still have a shot at the NFC's top seed, travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. The Vikings, it's simple, a win, and they are in the playoffs. And the Packers, a win, keeps them in solid contention for that number one seed. And while some people may see a high-scoring shootout in this game, I also think a defensive struggle is equally as likely, given the inconsistencies we've seen from this Packers offense and Dalvin Cook looking iffy to play. What do you think, Cal? Yeah, I mean, I I'm not looking. I don't have this game pegged as a high-scoring game, David. I, I'm really looking at it and saying, you know, this Minnesota defense—they've had hiccups at times, um, no doubt about it. But this is still a top-ten defense there, no doubt. And Green Bay, yeah, I mean, this defense isn't fantastic, but being able to pressure the quarterback the way they've been able to this year, the improved play in the secondary as well down the stretch here. Um, I, I think this is more likely to be uh, a lower-scoring game, 
And, you know, more like the uh, when these two teams met earlier in the season, I, I would be leaning towards the under in this game. I, I don't think we're going to get to 40 points. Oh, that is a very fair prediction there, Hal, and a fair bet as well. And when you look at some X factors for each team in this game, when I look at the Packers, got to go with our man Kenny Clark because the Vikings, you know, whether it's Dalvin Cook or Alexander Madison back there, they're going to want to pound the football early and often. And Kenny Clark, you could talk about the Smith brothers all the time coming off the edge, but Kenny Clark, I would argue, is the glue on that defensive front. Uh, Kenny Clark could get after the quarterback, and he is also a menace against the run. So Kenny Clark, I think, could be the big difference maker for the Packers uh, in this game. And for the Vikings, I have their X factor as Alexander Madison because based on what Adam Schefter said during halftime of Monday Night Football, I do not expect Alvin Cook to play in this game. So it's going to be the Alexander Madison show. And Madison has a, I'm not saying he's uh, as good as Dalvin Cook, but he has a very similar explosive skill set that Dalvin Cook has in, in, a, in a combination of speed and power. So Alexander Madison, if he could... Uh, match Dalvin Cook's productivity, that could go a long way to ensuring the Vikings punch their ticket to the playoffs uh, this Monday night. Who are your X-Factors for each team, Hal? Yeah, I'm looking at it the same way. I think for Minnesota, the first thing that they're going to have to do is keep Green Bay from extending drives. And the first thing you have to do in that situation is get Aaron Rodgers into second and third and longs. And that's going to come down to, you know, controlling the the ground game there and we're going to see you know whether it's Linval Joseph in the middle whether it's Eric Kendricks at linebacker this is going to have to be a Minnesota defense that's going to come out and stuff the run so Everson Griffin and Danielle Hunter as as important as it is to be getting after Aaron Rodgers you're first and foremost going to have to be staying disciplined and not giving up any big plays to that Green Bay running attack you can't be letting Aaron Jones be breaking off big runs or Jamal Williams having a you know that consistent four or five yards every rush, um, which is when that Green Bay offense really starts clicking. So I think the X factor there, we're looking at that Vikings um, right up the middle. You know, Linval Joseph, Eric Kendricks, those two, big, big, big part of the stopping the run game right there. And then you know, uh, flipping that around on the other side. Um, you talked about Kenny Clark. You stole my X factor there, so I can't go there. But <laughs> but that secondary for Green Bay as well. You're looking at Jair Alexander, Kevin King, two young cornerbacks that are going to have to play strong and have a big game against Minnesota because you know where that offense can generate points in a hurry, and that's Adam Thielen, that's Stephon Diggs. That's the, you know, if you, let, if you get Kirk Cousins in a rhythm early, it's going to be a long game for you. So there's a lot of pressure on those cornerbacks there for Green Bay. So Jair Alexander, Kevin King, I see them as the X factors on that Green Bay defense. And now let's talk about some of the key matchups in this game. And I kind of look at it as mirror images on both sides in terms of the edge. You've got two elite offensive tackles in Green Bay, David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga. But they're going up against arguably the best edge combo in football this year with Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, you mentioned them. But also on the flip side, you look at the Vikings where they have a second-year right tackle named Brian O'Neill, who has been playing underrated football this year, going up against arguably Zedarius Smith, who is the better of the two Smith brothers coming off the edge. So uh, the battles on the edges, I think, could be the most decisive matchups in this game. Any other matchups we should be looking at, Hal? 
No, I mean, that that's a great matchup right there. You brought up, David, uh, you know, both teams strong rushing around the edge. Um, you know, that that's a huge matchup that we've got to look at there. Um, and I think with, you know, Green Bay as well, you're going to be um, – you brought up Alexander Madison as, as a key um, with the running game. And for Green Bay, you know, beyond Kenny Clark as well, we're looking at Blake Martinez in the middle of that defense as well. He needs to have a big game there. He's got to be a big part of controlling that running game, which means for him, he's got to be in the right position and he's got to be able to shed some blocks there as well at the second level. Because if there is a weakness in Minnesota, you're looking at that interior offensive line. You've got a rookie at, at center and Garrett Bradbury um, and Josh Klein at right guard, who is not the most athletic guard in the NFL and can be overpowered at times as well as he plays more with technique rather than high-level skill there as well. So um, if, if I'm Green Bay, I'm looking at that's a huge matchup there is getting that, those linebackers free and making Minnesota one-dimensional. This game is going to be very, very exciting. I think it's going to be down to the wire. And uh, my pick in this game, uh, Kirk Cousins, the Monday night game in Seattle was not his fault. The defense let the Vikings down there. Kirk Cousins played inspired football and almost led his team to a come-from-behind victory in that game. And I think Kirk Cousins finally gets over the hump and leads the Vikings into the playoffs with a hard-fought 21-17 win over the Packers. What's your pick, Cal? Yeah, I mean, oh, boy, if if they had, uh, you know, if Delvin Cook was healthy, I think I would be feeling the exact same way. But, um, you know, I, I just think Aaron Rodgers, prime time, he's going to find a way to pull this out somehow. Um, I'm looking at a, you know, come from behind victory, fourth quarter, Green Bay, 26-24 to 24 over Minnesota. And now let's pick the rest of these Week 16 games, starting Saturday afternoon in Tampa, where the Red Hot Buccaneers host the Houston Texans, and the Texans can clinch the AFC South with a win. Do you think they do it, Hal? I think they should do it, but, you know. It's hard to trust um, them. <laughs> uh, just when you think you got them figured out and you got them pegged, you know, boom. You know, they lose to Denver, and then they beat Tennessee. And I'm like, I, I don't know what it, Texans are coming or going anymore. Um you know, on the road, I don't think I can trust him. I, I see Bruce Arians somehow getting enough offense out of Tampa Bay again to pull out a tight win. And I have Tampa Bay 30-27 to 27 over Houston. We're simpatico on the score, but I'm going to have to go with the Texans here uh, because uh, not having Mike Evans or Chris Godwin is going to force Jameis Winston into more mistakes than usual, and he makes plenty of them. And that, I think, uh, turns out to be the difference in a high-scoring 30-27 to Texans win. The San Francisco 49ers, after that gut-wrenching loss to the Atlanta Falcons, stay home on Saturday night to host the Los Angeles Rams, who are clinging to slim playoff hopes, and I see this as a close divisional game, but uh, the 49ers are going to get Richard Sherman back this week, and I think that uh, will do enough for their defense to make a few plays here and there that they failed to make last week, and I think the 49ers win this game uh, 24-21. Yeah, I mean, again, the the Rams are just kind of looking like the Texans this year in the same way that I can't figure them out. You know, they get blown out by Baltimore. They come back and blow out Arizona. They beat Seattle. They get blown out by Dallas. I mean, I, I don't know which team's showing up week to week. 
But I, I, I agree with your assessment as well, David. I think the San Francisco, it's not going to be an easy game, but I think it's going to be a, a get-better game as well. And I think having Richard Sherman back settles down that entire secondary as well. So I've got San Francisco in a close game, at least for the first half, uh, taking over and winning 24-13 to 13 over the Rams. Uh, unless you have players in your fantasy championship for this game, this is a yawner. The Jaguars traveling to Atlanta to take on the Falcons. And uh, yes, the Jaguars, I had some Minshew magic last week, but I don't see it repeating against the Falcons. The Falcons, after last week at San Francisco, they are playing like hell to tell Arthur Blake to retain Dan Quinn for 2020, and I think they continue to play hard. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, I think, rip apart that secondary, and I think the uh, Falcons win 31-17. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think it's a pretty easy win for Atlanta. I've even got it a uh, little lower scoring is all, but otherwise uh, pretty close to the same. 24-10 Atlanta over Jacksonville. The Old Browns, as in the Baltimore Ravens, currently the best team in the National Football League, travel to face the new Browns, who are absolutely reeling, and it's simple for the Ravens win, and they get home field advantage throughout the AFC playoffs and I think they do it uh, this is an entirely different Ravens team than the one that lost to the Browns at home uh, in week four earlier this season and I think it's not going to be even close I think Ravens uh, win it rather easily 38-17 yeah I think with the you know Baker Mayfield you know his propensity uh, I don't know what happened to his pocket awareness this year compared to how good he looked in the second half of last year but he certainly lost it this game could get really ugly really really fast especially with this baltimore defense being so opportunistic and producing points uh i've got it as a blowout baltimore 40 cleveland 12 this should be a very good game the new orleans saints fresh off that historic night from drew Brees, travel the music city to take out the tennessee titans who despite their gut-wrenching loss to the texans they are still very much alive for a playoff berth uh, in the AFC, and I think this is going to be a very, very close game, and I think a high-scoring game because uh, the Saints are banged up on that defensive line. They're going to have a hard time uh, getting after Ryan Tadhill with uh, Marcus Davenport and Sheldon Rankins on the show for the rest of the season, but the Saints' offense, they are clicking at just the right time, and I think this could come down to whoever has the ball last or whoever you trust more to make the key play in crunch time. As good as Ryan Tannehill has been this season, I still trust the four-year-old Drew Brees more than I do Ryan Tannehill. Saints pull off a 34-31 win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be close. I mean, you're, you're basically talking about for Tennessee, this is their season. And, you know, you've got to worry about Derrick Henry. Is he going to be 100%? Is he going to re-aggravate? Um, his, you know, his injury, they're saying it's not serious, but for a running back, we both know just slowing him down a little can be a huge burden for that uh, team as well. You know, Tennessee, you know, playing for their lives, I still can't pick them here in this game either. I don't think it's going to be quite as high scoring, but I've got it New Orleans 27-22 over Tennessee. And once again, unless uh, you have uh, players in your fantasy championship going in this game, a yawner between the Carolina Panthers, who will start rookie quarterback Will Greer, their third-round pick out of West Virginia, traveling to face uh, the Colts, who have absolutely been reeling since their promising start. I think I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers here. Both defenses are beat up, 
And the Colts are obviously beat up on offense. So Jacoby Brissett just can't get anything going. But they have the best player in the game right now, as do the Panthers, with Christian McCaffrey. I think he has an absolute monster game. And the Panthers walk away with a 27-20 to win. Yeah, I mean, Indianapolis, I mean, throw out last, uh, you know, Monday night against the Saints. That, that, that game was over before it started. The Saints were, were on a mission, and uh, Indy had no interest in trying to match them in that game. But for a lot of these games, Indianapolis has been very, very competitive. So at home against the rookie quarterback, I'm going to give them the edge, and I have them beating Carolina 24 to 20. The Miami Dolphins uh, travel on the road to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals, or uh, uh, I typed it uh, the wrong way, I think. I think the, no, the Bengals are actually on the road, and they travel to Miami to take on the Dolphins. Uh, now that the game is in Miami, I think I'm going to go with the Dolphins because uh, Brian Flores has done a far better job than Zach Taylor at coaching uh, all season long, and the Bengals, uh, I think they'd be wise, even though they have a two-game lead, to officially lock themselves up to take Joe Burrow in this game with another loss. So I'll take the Dolphins 21, Bengals 20. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Dolphins had a rough game against the Giants last week, but really after that horrendous start to the season, um, what were they out scored 99 to 10 to start the season or something ridiculous like that. Um, it, it was just insane from 0 and seven. They've won three out of seven games. They're three and four in their last seven. Um, uh, I think, yeah, Cincinnati is playing for the number one overall pick. I think the dolphins should be able to hold court at home. It's probably going to be ugly. It's probably going to be a snoozer, but I'll take the dolphins 19 to 16 over Cincinnati. Unless this game didn't have this uh, title for me, this would be the ultimate yawner, but this is the Chase Young Bowl. Consider this the Chase Young Bowl as the Giants, who currently occupy the number two overall draft spot, travel to Washington to take on the Redskins, who have the number three overall draft spot at the moment, and whoever picks at two behind the Bengals, they're most certainly taking Chase Young, and the loser of this game gets Chase Young, and... Daniel Jones is going to be back for the Giants, but at the end of the day, I trust Daniel Snyder of the Redskins to screw it up even more than the Giants. So I am going to have the Redskins taking themselves out of the Chase Young sweepstakes by beating the Giants, uh, let's say, 28-17. to Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I just rewatched um, last night the, the Redskins-Eagles game. Don't ask me why I was re-watching that. I just had it recorded, so I, I watched it. But, but man, that, that game, the Redskins, you know, they were in it. They had a, they had the lead two minutes to play. They had a chance at a Hail Mary um, that they screwed up, of course. But, I mean, they really had a chance to knock off the Eagles, who had something to play for. And, you know, if they're playing that hard right now, you know, um, for for Bill Callahan here, then I'm going to have to lean with them. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to say Washington comes out with the win here as well, and I'll give them another ugly win, but 22-16 to 16 over the Giants. The Steelers need at least one more win to assure themselves a wild-card playoff berth, and the Duck maintains his role at starting quarterback for now, but they travel to MetLife to take on the New York Jets, and uh, as 
as much as some people would like to say this is a gimme for the Steelers, I don't think it is. I think it's going to be ugly and low scoring, but that said, I do not trust Adam Gase. I have the Steelers eking out an ugly 17-16 win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the biggest strike against Adam Gase has just been, you know, Sam Darnold just doesn't look any better than he did last year and, and maybe worse than he did as a rookie. At least there were some positive games and, you know, hasn't been able to get Le'Veon Bell started this entire season. I mean, that's two huge strikes. And, and really, you know, with the Jets, with Jamal Adams dinged up, I mean, he's so much the heart and soul of that defense. And if he's not playing or if he's not at 100%, I don't give the Jets any chance in this game. I agree with you. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points put on the board. Both of these are solid defenses. But uh, I see Pittsburgh making enough big plays to pull out a 20-12 to win over the Jets. Another yawner as the Detroit Lions travel to the Mile High City to take on the Denver Broncos. And... I'm a Broncos fan, but I'm also the kind of fan who in a lost season roots for his team to get the best Jimmy and Joe possible in the draft or get in the position to get the best Jimmy and Joe possible in the draft that opposed to winning out. Denver Broncos, please do not win out. Please lose out and get the highest draft possible. And I think that is going to happen because the Lions seem overdue for a win, but this is a hard game to predict. Two essentially JV squads going at it uh, this week. But I have the Lions in this game 22-20. Why? Stay tuned for bold predictions. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be close and ugly. Uh, sorry, David. I'm picking your Broncos to win this game 24-20. Uh, to 20. In the battle of the young quarterbacks here, I think um, Denver's just got the better quarterback, and, the, and that's just going to tip the scales in their uh, favor right here in this game. So Denver 24, Detroit 20. Uh, hope you're wrong, Hal. The Raiders, <laughs> the Raiders, in their final two games is the Oakland Raiders after that heartbreaking ending in Oakland, traveled to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Well, this will technically be another home game for the Raiders, but I have the Chargers winning. Do you know why? The Raiders today, uh, they essentially said our season is done because they put Trent Brown, their best offensive lineman, on injured reserve, and uh, they also uh, are not going to play Josh Jacobs due to his shoulder injury, and I think those two losses alone make the Raiders just a below-average team, and the Chargers, even with uh, Noodle Arm Phillip Rivers, come away with an ugly... 23-20 win. Yeah, I, I, I think we're sounding the simpatico alert here on this one. Uh, same exact reasons, you know, I think Oakland, they're, they're pretty much packing it in. Uh, my score, dangerously close to yours here, David, 24-21, Chargers over Oakland. Could this be the week the NFC least finally gets decided? I sure hope it does. The Dallas Cowboys travel to Philly to take out the Eagles, and if the Cowboys win, they win the NFC East and clinch that number four playoff spot in the NFC. You got Dak Prescott, who has a shoulder injury right now, and uh, the Cowboys are saying it's an AC joint spray, but uh, David Shaw, who you can follow on Twitter at ProFootballDoc, the former Chargers team doctor who chronicles every injury in the NFL every week. If you're not a foot, if you're a football fan and not following David Shaw, do so right now at ProFootballDoc. He said, based on how Dak Prescott landed on his shoulder on that Clay Matthews tackle on Sunday, he fears a rotator cuff contusion. He thinks it's worse than an AC joint. But that said, Carson Wentz has no receivers to throw to, and. Uh, 
a banged up Dak Prescott versus a Carson Wentz with no receivers. I think I'll take the Cowboys here to wrap up the NFC East. Uh, it's not going to be pretty, but I think they escape with a 27-23 win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Philadelphia kind of made their charge in the middle of the season. Uh, remember, they went into Buffalo and blew out the Bills. Um, they played the Patriots in a close, tight game. Um, Seattle, the same thing. And then you lose to the Dolphins. You had to beat the Giants in overtime. The Redskins were ahead in the fourth quarter against you. I mean, you're just playing down to the competition, Philadelphia. And, you know, it's just ugly. I think Dallas, you know, uh, made a statement against the Rams last week that they're back and they're playing serious and playing for real. I give them a huge advantage going on the road into Philadelphia and quieting it down there, making it uh, so quiet you can hear all three Cowboys fans in the link. And I've got Dallas winning pretty handily 27-13 to over the Eagles. The Seattle Seahawks uh, are still very much in position for the NFC's number one seed. As a matter of fact, they currently occupy that number one seed, and they host Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals this week. I have a feeling this game is going to be closer than many are expecting, but at the end of the day, the talent disparity between these two teams is too big. I think the Seahawks uh, hang on to a 31-23 victory. Yeah, I mean, I you know, at the beginning of the year, I looked at Arizona and I, Cliff Kingsbury, Vance Joseph as your defensive coordinator. What are they doing over there? But, you know, they've been, even in their losses, they've played hard. They've been competitive. I mean, they took San Francisco to the wire twice. Uh, a lot of their games have been close losses. Um, just, even the opening week, uh, coming back to tie it against Detroit, they've played hard for with Kingsbury. I'm really impressed with this Arizona team. I think they're trending in the right direction, but again, um, in Seattle, a must-win really game for Seattle um, to hold on to that. Uh, one of those top speeds. I, I don't think Arizona has a chance. Like they'll put up a good fight. I think it'll be close uh, for two, maybe three quarters, but I've got Seattle winning it 30-20 to 20 over the Cardinals. And last but not least, really, NFL, does this have to be the Sunday night game for Week 16? The Red Hot Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes traveled to Chicago to take on the now-eliminated Chicago Bears, and uh, the only way this game is going to be watchable is if Patrick Mahomes lights it up, and I think he does light it up big time, showing the world why the Bears made a great mistake by taking Mitch Trubisky, of all people, over him and Deshaun Watson. The Chiefs absolutely roll the Bears 38-17. Yeah, you know, David, I it, it, this is a tough week to find an upset special here and a bold prediction because I think we kind of know, you know, who's who at this point of the season. And, and really beyond the two games we talked about earlier in the show, um, you know, there's a lot of playoff positioning and that, that seems pretty much locked in stone and draft positioning, as you alluded to earlier in the show. But you know, this is the kind of game that, you know, huh, you know, once I fall in love with a team like the Kansas City defense, like I've fallen these last few weeks, boy, they really seem to, you know, find a way to, you know, give me a swift kick and make me look like an idiot here. So I'm thinking this might be one of those trap games for Kansas City here. I, I think if I have to pick an upset special, I might take the Bears here 
in this game. I don't know how they're going to get to 30 points, but I've got them over Kansas City 30 to 28 in my upset special and more about this in my bold prediction as well. And now let's go to those bold predictions. What is your bold prediction for that Sunday night game in Chicago, Hal? So, you know, as much as I've talked up this Chiefs defense and, and how excited I am about it, somehow, some way, I mean, this is, you know, the measuring bar for Mitch Trubisky has been, as you alluded to, that horrible mistake that Chicago made trading up for Trubisky, not getting Patrick Mahomes. And I think somehow, some way, we're going to see Mitch Trubisky do what he did against Dallas and throw three touchdown passes, uh, throw for almost 250 yards. It seems inconceivable, but that's what makes the prediction bold. He's going to use his legs. He's going to have almost 100 yards rushing, 250 yards passing, three touchdowns. Mitch Trubisky somehow gets it done for the Bears in my boldest prediction probably of all time, 30-28. to 28. Woo! That is really bold, and I hope I can outdo you, Kara, but I don't think I do. Matt Prater <laughs> was the kicker for the Denver Broncos for many years, including the where they made it to the Super Bowl in 2013. Now he's a Detroit Lion, and he returns to Denver, where he set the NFL's all-time record for longest field goal with 64, 64 yards in 2013. He returns to Denver as a member of the Lions in 2019 and kicks the game winning field goal at the buzzer and the game winning field goal is the new NFL record of 65 yards for a field goal. So that's my bowl prediction for week 16. And last but not least, we go to our challenge flags. What is your challenge flag for week 16? My friend. Uh, Mine's very simple. Jason Garrett, Doug Peterson, who wants it? One of you get your team to show up. Play with a little bit of consistency. you got two weeks left. One of you come out of this dogfight with a win, and then don't turn around and lose next week either. Um, get your team up. Get that Division One. Don't be an embarrassment. Get at least nine wins out of this. Oh, that is a very good challenge flag, and my challenge flag goes to the San Francisco 49ers. Let the adversity from last week's loss to the Falcons turn into a blessing. Champions turned adversity into their strength. You let last weekend's loss against the Falcons hurt as hard as it can, not just this week, but the week after at Seattle and through the playoffs. Let it be the fuel that brings you to the Super Bowl and wins that sixth Super Bowl in franchise history. So 49ers, turn that loss to the Falcons into your greatest strength by going all the way. And he is held bent, ladies and gentlemen. Fullpresscoverage.com. Or if you're a Patriots fan, you can read his Patriots theme work at musketfire.com. And Hal, that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week for the 17th and final week of the 2019 NFL regular season. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Hal Bent, this is David Cromwell saying so long, stay awesome, and have a happy, happy holidays, everybody. (laughs) 